Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Where are we listening? How are we listening? This is Corn of History. Today we're going to be doing the Moonraker episode. If you haven't listened to before, you haven't listened to the podcast, today we're going to put it on YouTube. One of my favorite podcasts I ever did. Um, really came out great and uh, really excited for you guys to see it. See some visuals, see some time. Got a great guest on today. Good topic, Space Race, Moonraker. Let's do this! <laughs> Everyone has some sort, everybody feels some type of way if you've seen this movie or if you're into the Bond Pantheon. So today's episode 17 is going to be about Moonraker. I don't know why I said it so dramatically. I got, it's just like, Moonraker is just one of those films where even non-Bond fans know about it. You know what I mean? They kind of know about Jaws, they kind of know about the lasers, the space, and they're like, okay, well, it wouldn't be something that you show, uh... Someone the first time, I don't think. It wouldn't be their first Bond movie. It's one that if you have the sickness, you can watch it. But other than that, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who you show this movie to. But then again, there are people that they love this movie. It's one of their favorites. So I, you never know. You never know. One of my earlier guests uh, from The Live and Let Die, he, he was like with well, the third Bond movie he watched was uh, Moonraker. And he's like, wow, um... So that uh that 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 oh, but they're not all good, huh? <laughs> like no, no, they're they're not all good. But uh, I actually again, I know I've said this before a bunch of times in in other videos and all that stuff. But Moonraker is one that, that just keeps growing on me. Uh, it's not gonna be ever my top. It's never gonna be a top half. But eh, it's got some kind of charm to it. It does. It has some kind of charm to it. And we were all very sad this week to find out that Michael Lonsdale had passed. You know, Mr. Hugo Drax himself. So a sad passing, you know, he lived a good life, and you know he'll be, he's he's survived by his son Harris Thomas from Dressing Like Bond. Um, so I'm sure that he was proud to see that Harris has done well for himself, being an East Coast salesman and being uh, so successful with his IG page, Dressing Like Bond. So I'm waiting to see when it becomes like he needs to change his his IG handle to like Drax Drax's son, Drax Jr., little DJ. <laughs> maybe I might call I might have to call Harris Thomas DJ from now on I've seen him cross his legs and I've seen him uh, eat a cucumber sandwich so I'm, there's no doubt there's no doubt Harris Thomas's real father is Hugo Drax but we're going to go on to our topic today it's going to be space exploration and it's going to be a really fun topic um, I think everyone has a rough outline of what happened but we're going to go through the timeline of events and basically culminating with us landing on the moon, which is humanity's greatest technological achievement, I think, to this day. I mean, iPhones and all the technology we have and all the craziness that we have with the internet is cool, but that's still just like on another imaginary land. I think our biggest achievement of, on tangential land was the fact that we got to the moon. Take that, Russia. All I do is win. We got to the moon. I mean, what can you imagine just even thinking about telling somebody 300, three, 400 years ago that one day a human being is going to walk on that moon? Okay. I think it's humanity's greatest achievement to this day. 
and uh, we'll talk about how we actually got to the moon. How we got to the moon was a fact that it was like a, a dick measuring contest between the Russians and the, and the U.S. Much of the inspiration for Moonraker's plot is based on the idea that humanity can go and uh, live in a space station for a long period of time. This idea was derived from the events that happened in the years of ex space exploration. As the Cold War was escalating, there was a perceived, you know, real or imaginary, need to reach space. The dropping of the atomic bomb changed the world. Humanity had created something in the world that was never supposed to have. It fed the fears of many society that atomic bombs would be the norm moving forward. It was this belief that the race for technological advances in missiles and projectiles were needed to stay ahead of the race for domination. The Soviet Union and the United States were now locked in a battle on all fronts. The Soviet Union shocked the world when on the 4th of October, 1957, Sputnik was launched. Sputnik was the first satellite launched into space. It orbited the Earth and transmitted radio signals for 21 days before burning up in the Earth's atmosphere. A month later, Sputnik 2 was launched, this time carrying a dog named Laika. The Soviets continued their run of success when in 1959 they launched Lunik 3, which photographed the dark side of the moon. And it was also from this move that an overrated band from the UK would make an overrated album that is for some reason still played today. Like, if you're a Pink Floyd fan, I Wish You Were Here is one of my favorite songs of all time. I do love that song. But the rest of it, I don't... Why is Pink Floyd famous? I remember being in high school thinking, and all the like the cool kids were wearing Pink Floyd shirts, and I'd, I'd listen, like, all right, well, why is this so cool? And then I listen to them, like, I don't understand why this is cool. I, I don't understand Pink Floyd, and I probably never will, but, you know. Again, I'm probably going to get lambasted for that one later too. But if anybody, if look, I don't understand. If you're a Pink Floyd fan, go ahead and explain it to me because I don't get it. It wasn't until 1958 that the United States launched their own satellite, Explorer 1. So in addition to losing to be the first into space, the U.S. also lost the coolest naming rights for a satellite. Like Sputnik versus Explorer 1. What a lame name for a rocket is Explorer 1. Oh, come on, like we could have come up with something better than that. But I, I looked up, so I was like, all right, well, what does Sputnik actually translate to? And Sputnik really just means satellite in Russian. So even in Russia, they're like, you couldn't think of anything besides a satellite. You could not think of better term than Sputnik. But for, for, for us, for me to say Sputnik is way cooler. But, you know. Again, both of you in the translations, Russia and U.S. need to come up with cooler names like exploding flying phallic object. <laughs> dick missile. I don't know. Something. Uh, maybe, maybe not dick missile, but maybe like maybe kite it like uh, firing rooster or, you know, something like that. You know, I don't know. What do I know? What do I know about naming things? But I think Explorer Run and Sputnik are kind of lame. The United States and the rest of the world were shocked by the achievements of the Soviets. Like, no one even had a clue that the Soviets had this technology. No one had a clue that the Soviets were capable of doing this. They all assumed that the United States were way, way ahead of the Soviet Union. And when they started shooting rockets into space and little Sputniks and stuff like that, they were like, I, they were shocked because it really was a kick in the nuts for the United States to get there their act together because it was it again were these rockets equated to missiles and projectiles and well, they had seen the atomic bomb and they didn't know what was coming next so if they can go into space and they can go shoot the dark side of the moon 
then who knows what they can do. They can easily reach the United States. Because of this, the United States took notice. And in response to this, on the 1st of October, 1958, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA, was created. In addition to NASA, Eisenhower also created two national security-oriented programs to coincide with NASA's developments. The first was a venture led by the United States Air Force to explore the potential of using space as a means of military warfare. The second was led by the CIA, the Air Force, and a new organization called the National Reconnaissance Office, codenamed Corona, who used orbiting satellites to gather intel on the, sat- on the Soviets and their allies. The United States actually only acknowledged the existence of the National Reconnaissance Office in the 1990s. So it was a secret program that they had um, that they didn't even acknowledge existed until you know 40 years after its existence. Several satellites were sent into space using chimpanzees, dogs, and unmanned spacecraft before the race to send a man to the space came to fruition. It again was the Soviet Union who was the first to accomplish this feat. Yuri Gagarin became the first human to orbit the Earth in April of 1961. He did so in a single pilot spacecraft. In May of 1961, shortly after the Soviet launch, the Americans sent Alan Shepard into space, becoming the second human being ever in space. Shepard did not make orbit like Yuri, however. It wasn't until February 1962 when John Glenn became the first American to match Yuri's achievements. After the success of John Glenn and NASA, President John F. Kennedy stood before students and faculty at Rice University in Texas and proclaimed, We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And from that speech, Apollo program began, and their goal was to have Americans walk on the moon. As the years progressed, several firsts were had. The U.S. accomplished a flyby Venus with Mariner 2, followed by Mariner 4, which flew past Mars. Several more launches, satellites, and missions were done both by the Soviets and the Americans, all of which paled in comparison to the ultimate race, first to walk on the moon. From 1961 to 1964, NASA grew to 34,000 employees and 375,000 contracted employees and university contractors. The resources devoted to NASA and the Apollo project were astounding for the time. By 1966, space exploration accounted for 6% of the Federal Reserve's budget. The Apollo's project first launch began in tragedy. Three astronauts lost their lives when a launch rehearsal fire broke out in the craft and killed all astronauts on board. This led to extensive redesigns to the spacecraft. Meanwhile, the Soviets were having their own difficulties and setbacks. The Soviets were still focused on beating the Americans to the moon, but the cost of the setbacks mounted and the momentum of their space program was falling apart. The cost of these programs were astronomical. Just as the sheer manpower alone needed to bring this dream to fruition is draining on national resources, like 6% of your Federal Reserve. The Soviet Union was always kind of a bloated cow. If you ever watched The uh, the Good Shepherd, they call it a bloated cow, and I thought that was a really good um, analogy of what it is. And the U.S. was using far more money, 6% of this federal. That, that doesn't sound like a lot maybe, but that is even an astronomical amount of money to send someone to space. And as the Soviets really drained their national resources at an alarming rate to try to keep up with the U.S., the Soviets suffered a couple setbacks that really um, pretty much ended their, their space program as far as their race to the moon. The Soviets suffered an explosion on their launch pad, as well as the sudden deaths of several key engineers on the project. As a result, the Soviets fell way behind the Americans in the race to the moon. In 1968, Apollo 8 sent a crew around the moon and back to Earth. 
Apollo 9 was launched and finalized their critical test for the lunar module, basically tinkered out the, the algorithm of what they needed to actually land on the moon. Apollo 10 was sent up and did everything except actually land on the moon. The team of Apollo 10 were within mere miles of the moon's surface. The work was done, the stage was set, so on July 16, 1969, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins left Earth on the way to the moon. And on the 20th of July, 1969, mankind made their greatest achievement in history and took one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. And Michael Collins really got screwed in this deal. So the way that it was designed was that the two people could walk on the moon and one person had to stay aboard the spaceship. So Michael Collins had to just like look out the window and be like, hey guys, how is it out there? And Neil and Buzz are all jumping around and laughing and giggling and throwing moon racks at each other and stuff. And Michael's like, hey guys, guys. And he has to like look all sad like the kid who can't come out and play when his mom's being really strict. And in an unfortunate accident while Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were walking on the moon, a man actually came out of nowhere and took their moon buggy. And then he took the moon buggy and drove it all the way to the Nevada desert where he was then chased by, uh, by police and, and security officers who had subsequently crashed into the Nevada desert. And the person who stole that moon buggy was able to get away. So that person's identity is still unknown. It was an unfortunate incident during the uh, moonwalk. And you know, like I said, Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong could have walked more on the moon or explored more of the new moon surface except that it was interrupted by um, a man with a lot of chest hair. That's how he was described with a toupee and a lot of chest hair. And apparently he wears pink. Uh, It was very tough um, and too short. uh, And the ties are too short. So again, um, still to this day, it remains a mystery who that man was. After the United States was able to have a man walk at the moon, the space race was considered over at this time. The Soviets persisted. They sent four additional attempts, all of which failed. The United States remains the only nation to have accomplished a moon landing with a manned spacecraft. Now, as technology grows exponentially, making space exploration less expensive, privately funded explorations are being seen today. You know, a lot like Hugo, Hugo Drax found space plausible for private company, people like Elon Musk and his SpaceX program believe they too can send people to the moon. In countries like Israel, Iran, and now the United States, privately funded expeditions are becoming a reality. So it may not be that long before... We too can travel to the moon as if we're going to Disney World. And it's probably less expensive to go to the moon than it is to go to Disney World. Have you, if you've ever been to Disney World, I, I went there. So it was my years ago when I lived in New Mexico. It was my birthday. And in Border Patrol, I didn't get any weekends off. I got no time off. It was like, it was always, it was, it was a rough time. So finally, for my birthday, I finally got some vacation time put in. Uh, my idea was I wanted to go to Manhattan, um, see a Knicks game. And wife at the time the thought was like, oh, you know what? You know what I really want? I want to uh, I want to go to Disney World. And I'm like, yeah, but it's it's my birthday. I I want to go I want to go to see a Knicks game in the Manha- in Manhattan. So, anyways, I found myself on a plane to Orlando, and uh, we ended up at Disney World. And I could not believe the expensive how expensive it was. It was like. You know, and I, to annoy my wife, I, I kept doing the uh, the Mickey Mouse voice literally the entire trip. <laughs> oh, welcome to the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> you want you want some water? It's hot out here, isn't it? <laughs> $14. <laughs> yeah, welcome to the Magic Kingdom. This shit ain't free, motherfucker. <laughs> I literally did that for the entire, I ruined the entire trip doing the Mickey Mouse voice just being shaken down people. But I thought it was funny. And I still, to this day, every time I start, she's like, no, 
you don't do the voice. <laughs> oh, you want a soda? <laughs> $18, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You got a Mickey Mouse voice, too. So that was that was the uh, the, uh, the story of basically the, the timeline, the chronological order of how we got to the moon. And um, really, it was... I, I never... So Moonraker capitalized on this. I mean, the space exploration was there. And then movies like Star Wars were coming out. And it was, you know, Star Wars dominated the summer. So they're like, all right, it's time for Bond to go to space. And I get why they did it. But for me, I just... I was never a Star Wars fan. I've seen the movies. Star Wars never did anything for me. Um, I, I never got into it. I, I watched it, watched the movies just because you kind of have to, you know, they have conversation pieces, but I don't know. I just, none of the episodes I've seen everything except for the last, the last two. I'm like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I've seen, I've, I've, I've given you guys seven chances for you to bring me in. And, uh, each time you failed. So I, I haven't even watched the last two. I'm sure. I, from what I hear, I didn't miss anything. It's like not watching the last se- seasons of Game of Thrones. I heard what happens and uh, hard pass. All right, I think everyone's heard me talk long enough today. Uh, let's uh, me and Fifty Cent welcome in our guest today, Kyle Yobes. All right, today we're gonna have a special guest. It's gonna be Kyle Yobes, a teacher extraordinaire, Bond aficionado, Bond dork like the rest of us. And today we're gonna be talking about Moonraker. Welcome on the show, buddy. Good morning. Happy to be here, finally. Been following since the beginning. Sent you a message. I think after episode one. Like, Ooh, he's free. Found me up. <laughs> yeah, you were definitely one of the first on the IG. So I appreciate you always listening to my nonsense and staying here through the time. Um, so what, tell me a little about yourself. What do you do? I'm a social studies teacher at a high school in Columbia, South Carolina. This will be my 11th year teaching. It's way different teaching now than it has in the past. I'm actually in grad school to move into administration. So hopefully in the next year or two, make the move. I can imagine. A little bit. Oh, well, good for you, man. I, I can imagine that the paradigm in being a teacher has changed dramast- dr- drastically over the last decade. Um, and I, we're talk- we'll talk about the movie and we'll get into all the, that stuff. What do you think about Mo- Moonraker yourself? Where does it land on your, uh, your pantheon of Bondisms? Roger Moore kind of hits right in the middle for me. Is not like Live and Let Die is one of my favorite. Um, I rewatched Moonraker the other day. It's kind of in preparation, and it's kind of it's like it's good. It's, it's it has that fun. I mean, everybody always says it's campy, but I mean, it's just kind of it's good. I mean, it's not really a bad Bond movie. Um, other than one, and I'm not gonna say it, so we don't get a lot of hate. But uh, oh no, you gotta tell me. Oh no, there's no secrets on quantum history. What's what's your bad know. one? I don't know. If, I won't say bad. I'll, let me back it up. But Honor Majesty Secret Service kind of just doesn't doesn't doesn't. Oh, sort of are you trying to steal me like everybody else? Are you but, trying to steal my heart? I, I I can swear to God to Kyle and and Joe Darlington and everybody. I didn't even plan this. He just came out with this. So. Well, we talked about it before, and I did where I have the whole like my. My frugal quantum of solace fit because I'm gonna be team quantum of solace. <laughs> I see more and more people getting on board, like the blunt instrument people. They're getting on board. Yep, absolutely. Quantum. So that'll be, be the, I guess that'll be the new owner majesties. Will be quantum of solace people. Will yep. finally give it some shine at some point. I agree. I think it's one of those ones that's, that time will be kinder to. But but Moonraker, it, it, it's pretty good. I mean, it's not one that if I'm just gonna randomly pick one that I would go for, but but. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, here's the thing with Moonraker. I, when like I first, second, third kind of choice. 
Yeah. When I first saw it, I was like, all right, well, this is this is silly. And it's one of those ones that's kind of grown on me. And when I see it, I'm like, I'm all right. I'm not going to put it as lambasted like it was. Like Moonraker was for a long time the pariah of the Bond films. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I can I can deal with the first two thirds, even maybe the three quarters. Maybe they're going to space. I'm like, whatever. It, it, we already know what this is. But um, but for a guilty pleasure between The World Is Not Enough and Moonraker, I guess I could kind of call them a guilty pleasure at, at best. Yeah, they're pretty good. And it's one, too, that if you have kids, you could sort of show them and there's nothing too... Like, when you're shooting lasers at someone, that's not as realistic as when they use actual guns. So it's kind of like a little more kid-friendly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, uh, for so they can make the toys and all that kind of stuff that goes with it. Because I think Moonraker probably has some of the most, I don't know what the word, products that go with it. So the, after the action figures and all that kind of the lunch boxes and things like that. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of stuff from Moonraker. For my for my four year old, everything that it, what's how hard a metal is is whether Jaws can cut through it or not with his teeth. Like, can Jaws cut through it? Can Jaws cut through that? Can Jaws cut through that? Do you think that it's 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 um a lost art to tailor more towards the younger audience? Because I know like probably you're the same generation where we started with Goldeneye, the video games, and then a generation before had the toys of Moonraker. And then with the Daniel Craig's, all they have is is you know more luxurious stuff, more not placating to like some toys or some cool stuff to, for the younger generation. Do you think that that's a lost art? I think so. And even I mean, Calvin Dyson has talked about the the lack of video games or at least quality video games for the most part for Craig. And I think that would be something easy enough to hook people in. As much as you have, I mean, you can see the PlayStation Five sales booming. It would be the perfect time to kind of add something to get the younger people into it. It would be nice. I mean, you have Funko Pops, but that's kind of about it from the the toy perspective. And that's more of just let that sit there and look at it. It's not anything to really play with. Yeah, it's kind of like... has one that he's broken, but... Yeah, it's kind of like Call of Duty owns the first-person shooter now, right? And Call of Duty is kind of like turning into uh, Madden, if you ever played Madden. Where Madden is just, that's what it is all the time, but it's not always the greatest. I feel like there's a time, there's a market for it to come in. But it, again, with the licensing and how expensive these games are, I hope to see it in the future, but who knows? Yeah, retro is in, so let's just bring GoldenEye back. <laughs> let's do it. Right, let's do it. Let's have it for like the fourth time, GoldenEye Reloaded. Just actually reload it and do it the way it was originally. Just sorry <laughs> graphics and all. Who cares? We just karate chop our way through everything. <laughs> right, slappers only. One of the my favorite actually um, levels in that was Moonraker, and it was one of the things. So they the the space exploration, the lasers, and all that. And I know that as part of this, we're talking a lot about the space exploration for Moonraker, and I know that it's affected not only our imagination but also education. Um, our daily products and things like that. How do you think that things like space exploration and pushing the bounds of education has affected in your field? Well, for me, the emphasis of as soon as Sputnik came out, the U.S. goes, ooh, ooh, maybe we are further behind than we imagined. We don't have all of our ducks. We thought we were so far ahead. Um, so there becomes this giant push for math and science, and that's something that we still see today. So STEM, STEAM, people call it different things, that science, technology, um, and then you have the math component, depending on where you, where you are and some the, have the arts, but it's science, technology, and math are the biggest things in education. And then everybody else is left. So those are the top tier. Then you have English, 
and then at the bottom is social studies out of the, the core subjects. Yeah, I mean, we hear we hear Cardi B. We know English isn't very emphasized anymore. Yeah, so there's no, English is kind of secondary, and that's only really to communicate your math skills, and that's about it. So you can read the technical materials. But there's this, there's local districts here that offer signing bonuses for teachers unless it's social studies. Oh, really? So there's, a giant push, there's a giant push for everybody else. Why do you think that is? Uh, some of it is kind of the old, I guess, stigma of only coaches do social studies. And I, and I coached, so I, I won't say I didn't add to it, but um, kind of have that. And then just social studies teachers, if you look at the education programs, those are usually the largest cohorts hmm. of teachers. So there's just, we're a dime a dozen sort of, a little bit easier to replace them. Because even with all the money that's been dumped into math and science, it's still a struggle to get people in those positions. Plus not a lot of people want to teach anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, I, I, I commend you, man, because I think teaching, I know I'm in law enforcement. I always think that the, the two that I've had at the worst these last times are police officers and teachers. Cause you guys have been getting hammered too, especially with everything. There's just so much expected of you and you just, everyone thinks that you're superhuman and you can just teach these kids magically and you can just get them to sit down in this curriculum and it's constantly changing and the rules are constantly changing for you and what you have to work with is constantly changing for you. And then you're still expected to perform at a high level, answer to the kids, your administrators, to the teachers. It's got to be, um, has it become harder or easier in the last 10 years? I've, this is the third school that I've been at. And it really depends on your leadership. That's part of the reason I want to move into leadership and to administration is it depends on who you have at the top. If you have sorry people at the top of your school, it is rough yeah. because you need that backup. You have to have someone to have your back because you're on your, I mean, the door shuts and I'm the only one. Well, now we have such small classrooms with all the coronavirus stuff, but most of the time it's you shut the door and you're the only one with 20, 25 kids. So they're all looking to you for answers. And then, if a parent gets upset, you can try to explain it, but sometimes you need someone to go, actually, well, this is what we do here, and da, 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 da. you need that that backup in leadership. So if you have quality leadership, it makes it better. Um, this year, it's kind of hard to compare because I have we do a hybrid schedule, so on any given day, I have half of the kids I normally have, and then we're all virtual on Wednesday. So we're really operating three different schedules in a week. Ugh. It's just a lot that's, to keep up with about who's where and everything else. So insane. that part is more difficult. But the actual teaching stuff, if it was just teaching, it gets easier as you go. It becomes all the other stuff. Yeah. Uh, keeping up with communication with parents and the expectations that they have of what can and cannot happen when they're with me. I mean, by the time you're 16, 17 years old, you're pretty fully well cooked. I'm just kind of adding in the, the final touches here mm-hmm. and trying to get you ready for some other things. I can't fix um, if you don't read very well. I can try to help you, but it's hard for me to make up 12 years of, of education for you. Yeah. Do you find that Do you find that introducing them to Bond is definitely the, the key aspect to helping their education? Oh, for sure. <laughs> what, what is, what is, how is Bond even perceived at, at a 12th grade writer level? How do you, I mean, I see that you have the No Time to Die poster, you've got the Spectre poster, you have incorporated into your everyday lessons. And uh, how is it perceived? And how, do you have any like kids that are like, oh, I love Bond? Or do you have any ones that are like, who is this dude who likes Bond? I had one kid. So we're an international baccalaureate school, or IB school here. And so part of what they have to do to get their IB diploma is write a, this big extended essay. And I had a student last year 
that I get an email from English teachers, the English teacher coordinates who's the supervisor. And she sends out the list of students and one student put that she wanted to write about like gender and James Bond. I was like, that one is mine. <laughs> I didn't even know this kid. I said, I don't care. This one's mine. No one else is getting this. And she did a really great job with it. So she's the only one that's sort of been out there with it. Mm. And otherwise they'll see the posters and be like, Oh, what's that mean? And, and all that kind of stuff. Or what is this? What is that? And I'll kind of explain it to them, but nobody's jumped out of their chair. Like, Oh yes. I want to watch all the Bond movies. Yeah, I have in the past shown them little clips of stuff because you have like in Casino Route, uh, M mentions like Christ, I missed the Cold War. Mm-hmm. So there's Cold War that runs pretty much through every film up through Quantum, I think, is almost explicitly somehow mentioned. Um, and I could be mistaken, maybe in almost all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a big theme that when we get there, I like to show those things. I also, show Rocky Four too when we get to the Cold War. But. <laughs> Yeah, you have to have those ties. They're the classics. I had a professor at um, USC, the USC, South Carolina, um, that showed a lot of movies to go with whatever we were learning in history. So that just kind of became a cool tie-in that I thought. So anytime that I can make it a Bond tie-in, obviously I will. Or if it's any other film that will work, I think that helps the kids. Yeah. So it's not, it just kind of brings the life a little bit more. I mean, that even goes back to our point we were talking about before, is that the fact that if you would have been in high school, if you would have been my high school teacher back a, a little while ago, not not that long ago, but a little while ago, um, if you would have said, who's James Bond, we all would have been like, oh, Goldeneye, or we would have all known exactly what you're talking about. So it's it's kind of sad, the fact that you have a you have them and they're like, oh, we don't even know who that is. Or Yeah, I think if we get kind of the great debate now is who's going to be next, which I love Daniel Craig. Uh, so when he shot on, I was great because I was like, we're about the same height. I'm not very tall. <laughs> I'm about 5'9". He's 5'10". Got kind of ears that stick out. Yeah, you, guys, you have a little resemblance. I was like, blonde hair, blood. Thank you. That's very nice. My son, he saw a picture of Daniel Craig. He's like, dad, dad. I was like, this is why you're, you're my son. I was like, that's <laughs> not me, but I appreciate it. Uh, so I'm like, this, he kind of looks like me. Like, I don't relate to the other ones. I'm not tall, dark, and handsome like you. So I don't kind of get that. I needed someone more. A little bit shorter, got blonde hair, blue eyes. I was like, okay, this is this is my guy. I can get on board with that. <laughs> is he your favorite Bond? I would probably say show. I, it's it's really close with Sean Connery. I also, share our birthday with Sean Connery, and that was my very first memory of James Bond. Is really the opening scene of Goldfinger. He hits the lighter and shows his watch, and I was seven or eight when I saw that. And ever since then, I've wanted a Rolex. And then I decided to become a teacher. So that may not happen, <laughs> but <laughs> that was like my first thing. That and then Gold Knight were sort of. It was that first, and then Goldeneye came a couple years later. And really just cemented it for you, right? 1A and 1B. And I know that you uh, you also wrote a uh, a kid's book. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I wrote a a book, I guess, sort of in that same vein what we're talking about, um, trying to get the younger audience that there's really not anything for kids' kids. So those of us that have kids, there's nothing. It's hard to share, especially because there is so much violence in the movies. You have to be careful what you expose them to or have to really explain what's going on and, and all that kind of stuff. So I wrote a book. This is the ABCs of, of James Bond. And it's sort of gotten put on hold with all the being back in school now. It's pretty much finished. I mean, I'm not an illustrator by any sense of the, the words. I've been trying to see if anybody wanted to take on that task or if I could get it to the hands of a publisher and see what they could do with it. Well, you sent it to me, and I read it to my kid. I, I love it. I, I can't wait. I really hope this gets illustrated. And if anybody's listening and has an illustrator or knows something, uh, maybe we could hook that up. That'd be great to come out of this. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I love it. I, I love it. And it was fun to read to the kid. It was perfect timing. It was about eh, 10, 12 minutes for me to get through, you know, going slowly. And it was perfect bedtime reading material. And again, I don't mind reading it rather than Green Eggs and Ham or One Foot, Blue Foot, Two Foot, whatever it is now with Dr. Seuss. So it was, uh, I love it. So I hope that there's more things like that. And I hope that you can get, I hope you get this thing published because I, I love it. Yeah, that would be the great hope. I mean, I wrote it for my son. It's just for everybody that anybody could add it to the collection. I know David Zerisky would buy one because he has one of everything. So <laughs> I could at least sell one to him, I'm sure. My, Michael Lansden. What, what, how do you feel about the, the passing of him, man? Like it's, it's, we're going to have to get used to this, right? Yeah. That's kind of what I messaged you yesterday. It just seems, and it seems like lately we kind of keep losing these key figures. And I know that they're older and things like that, but it's still, I guess just add into 2020, we're just all more aware of yeah. the sadness of that the whole year has been. Like, I mean, Sean Connery's 90. So. Oh, he's he's going to be next. I mean, that's yeah, that, it's that's sad to of, say, but, you know. That's a sad thought to have that we're going to lose, for a lot of people, the James Bond. It's just weird to think. It, it's also kind of reassuring that the franchise has lasted this long, mm-hmm. that we have people that were there at the beginning and are, are 90 and still here with us. So from... Mm-hmm. To and now, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good run for a movie franchise. So that gives us hope that it will continue on, but it is sad to lose these key figures. Yeah. I mean, like I, said, like I said, if I could go live 90 years like Sean Connery, it wouldn't be a bad way to go either. So, yeah, he, yeah, I feel like he uh, made the most of his life from some of the stories that we've heard. <laughs> Imagine the ones we Lazenby haven't heard. Did either. <laughs> I don't think Lazenby did bad either. For no, no, I, don't, I think, he, I think they both did pretty well for what they, with the time that they had. So again, I can't let you go without having hard questions, all right? So you have the chance. You got Hugo Drax comes to you. Says, all right, we're going to make the perfect race. You got to pick one Bond girl to go up in space with, and you got to spend there, and you got to procreate, and you got to save the world, all right? But you only get to pick one of them. So who's who's in that rocket with you? Yeah, we, we got to take Domino in the rocket from Thunderball. <laughs> we got to take Claudine. Well, you you didn't even hesitate on that one. That was definitely a question you were ready for. You were ready for that one. I knew you would ask that question, so <laughs> I had been thinking about it. I just don't think. I mean, she just so even the newer Bond. She just kind of the newer Bond girls just kind of blows them out of the water. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is something about Claudine. Plus, she is a pretty strong character on her own. She mm-hmm. doesn't kind of fall apart. There's there's someone coming and shoots in the chest and like. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that really react. I mean, she does none of that violent stuff. Really seemed to, to phase her. She seemed pretty tough. So mm-hmm. that's a good choice. It's a good choice, and you were ready for it. You you knew you knew the girl question was coming. <laughs> I for sure knew that question was coming. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Is there anything else you want to say before you go off? I really appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a treat having you. It's good talking to you. God bless you for being a teacher, man. God bless you for being a teacher, or a history teacher at that, and for introducing Bond into your students. I mean, can we just clone you and just teach all the rest of the kids throughout the U.S. like you? I, I would welcome it. We could certainly try. <laughs> Thank you for the opportunity. I feel special to, to be to be on here with you. Because um, like I said, I've been following you from the beginning. As soon as I saw history, I was like, this is for me. Um, well, I appreciate it, man. The I've been interested in is the link between the fictional side and how that is based on history. And I try to incorporate that incorporate that in the classroom so it's just always nice to, to hear a little bit and then learn some stuff that i could use in my room 
I have to edit your podcast a little bit for the school setting, but <laughs> what? Some of it what? No, they're in high school. They're in high school. They have the internet. They've seen it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't need to show it to them. Though. They don't need to hear it from me. They're All right, on their own kind of, kind of work. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Kyle. It's been such a treat. I, I really hope that you see the book come out. I really hope to see your children's book come out. And uh, good luck with grad school. Get an administrative job and, and uh, hope you know, keep changing the world and add a little bond to it, right? I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kyle, for coming on. What a treat to have you again. I look forward to doing this again. And uh, it was a lot of fun having him on today. You know, I, again, hats off to you for being a teacher in 2020 with all the things that you have to deal with and all the pressures and all the other stuff that you have to go through um, hats off to you man so again and we need we need you to, to really spread the word of bond we need the church of bond to to be proselytized throughout the land to our youth so really excited thank you so much for Kyle coming on it was a lot of fun so Moonwork was a lot of fun a lot of time to talk about and again space is fun to talk about too it was it was fun to research it was fun to read about and see the timeline and, and see how it was. And like I said, it, it would be amazing to go to space. Hopefully there is time to go to space. And so who wouldn't want to see a pair of boobs in space? I bet you it looks fantastic. On that note, thank you so much. This has been episode 17. It's been Moonraker. Hope you guys enjoyed. Episode 18 coming up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody stay positive out there. Enjoy it. And then watch out for uh, hairy-chested men breaking through and stealing your moon buggies. All right, guys. Until next time, thank you so much. Stay positive about that. Like what you saw, then hit that subscribe button. Comment down below and leave a like and then and hit that subscribe button. Why are you not hitting that subscribe button? Hit that subscribe button.